Hi, Valley. I want to wish you all of the dads out here a happy Father's Day. And not only a happy Father's Day, but, but guys, it is a blessing to be a dad, to be a grandfather. And if you have that joy, if you have that blessing in your life, uh, it is good to pray for the next generation. We're talking about something today called uh, uh, not only Boundless Wisdom is our series here at Valley, but this text in Proverbs 22 is going to take a look at building a life. We all have uh, areas in life that we need to grow and, and our lives need to kind of adapt and we need to change over time. But we learn from our mistakes. Anybody here ever made a mistake? I know that I have a ton of mistakes in my life. Maybe you made a mistake with a friendship or a job or a school. Maybe you chose the wrong school or your, your health. Maybe you did something that, that didn't help you health-wise. Maybe an investment that went wrong or a relationship. And maybe you're afraid to say no, seeking the approval of others. Maybe that's a mistake you make over and over. Being a victim and, and being somebody who always maybe kind of feels sorry for themselves. We make that mistake at times. Being indecisive or even jealous of others. I want to tell you a real quick story. Many years ago, there was a contractor who was excellent in what he did. And so this contractor was sought out by very wealthy people in a European town, very small village. And it's so long ago that only the wealthy really had a, a place, a very nice home to live in. So this contractor um, was approached by a, a very wealthy man who was going to leave town for a while. And he said, I'd like you to build a house for me while I'm gone. There's one stipulation. I want it to be the very best material that you can find. I want you to spare no cost. And when I get back, I'd like that house to be done. And the contractor said, okay. And he took it upon himself to begin to build. And while he was building, while this wealthy man was away, he began to feel jealous and, and kind of angry inside because this man had a couple of really nice homes in that village already. Now he was going to get another one, a third home for his family. And this man, this contractor, didn't even have one decent home for his family to live in. And so what he did is he thought in his heart, I'm going to hold back some of the money and I'm going to put cheaper materials in this house. He won't know it because on the outside, everything will look great. But on the inside, there will be cheaper materials so I can pocket some of the cash. And that's what he did. And when the wealthy uh, owner came back, he said to the man, uh, the house looks great. And the contractor uh, just kind of nodded in approval. And then the man said, I, the wealthy man said, I want to give this house to a friend of mine who deserves it. He took out an envelope from his pocket and inside was a key to the house. And he was giving the house to the very man, the contractor who had built it and had neglected to put the very best into the house. Obviously, that contractor, suddenly his heart sank, and he thought, I could have done something so much better for my family. I feel like I've wasted it. And I want you to think about, just for a moment, how the character that we have is the house that you and I live in. There are four you's. There are four me's. We have these four. One is public. It's what everybody sees about us, how people describe us. That would be the public you. Then there's a private you. There is a you that is only seen by immediate family and friends. 
And then there's more of a secret you. And that is the you that maybe only your spouse or somebody extremely close to you might know. But then there's the real you. And that's who God knows. The heart that God sees. The mind and the attitude and the direction of our life. Because you and I are building a life. In Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4, before we get to Proverbs 22, it's not um, uh, on the screens, but Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels, my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. And that's the real you. That's the real me made up of a whole bunch of daily decisions. Now, isn't it a blessing that in the midst of that, making decisions, and many of you might feel like your life, you, you want to go back and you want to redo some very, very serious mistakes you made. Maybe some sin that you chose to go down a certain path, and you'd love to go back and have a chance to redo it. In God's Word, though, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8, "...in Him we have redemption through His blood." the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. In other words, you have a God who is gracious. You not, Maybe the best time for you was years ago to make better decisions. The second best time is today. For you to ask God to give you the ability in your heart through His Holy Spirit and in His Word to make the kinds of decisions that can build a godly life, that can be a testimony of worship to those around you, that they might see Christ in you. Here's a quote I want you to see from Dallas Willard. And maybe this sums up what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together more than anything else I can say. The main thing God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish. It's the person you become. It's an act of worship in, in your life and living your life in such a way that God who knows your heart is receiving not good works to make it into his heaven. Because God is not going to play the game of good works. We are not good enough. Our sin has destined us to eternal damnation without Christ. But with Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity in him, redeemed through the blood of Christ, to live a life that brings him glory, to live a life that is an act of worship to our God. What a tremendous gift. In Romans 12, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. When you and I, as followers of Christ, can give our life day by day, moment by moment, to the work of God in and through us, impacting the lives of other people, then we're building a life, a life that will last. Well, there's some important life choices. I want to jump into the text right now in Proverbs chapter 22. And the very first thing I want you to know is that you and I have many choices to make. The first choice we need to make is we need to choose character over material gain. Character is something built over time. Material gain and the gains of this world, our bank account, maybe a big house, maybe a nice car, there are material things that we can accumulate. But in God's economy, God's desire for us is to build our character in Christ, to be more like Jesus Christ, conformed to Him. In Proverbs 22, verses 1 and 2, 
we see how this is laid out in the text. A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Now, how many of you believe that? If you were offered silver and gold, and the only problem is you needed to do something that that would not earn favor with people or earn favor with God, but you needed to step out and do something that that you knew was wrong, but you were offered just an insane amount of money to do it. How many of you would be tempted to do it? How many of us would be tempted to do it? The Bible says a good name chosen better than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. Now, it's great. If, if you're wealthy, you need to be reminded because you'll become prideful. If you're wealthy in this world, you need to be reminded that God gave it to you. He made you. He gave you the capacity to earn. He puts you in the family. He puts you in the situation, the education, to be able to earn, to be able to grow. Maybe you worked hard. Even God gave you the physical and mental capacity to work hard. And if you're poor and you're working your tail off and you just can't make ends meet, or maybe week to week, you're just living paycheck to paycheck. And you get mad at God because He made you think he made you poor. The Bible actually says that God makes all of us. And, and in many ways, by the situations that we're in and the life circumstances, yeah, God is, is the one who has given us the opportunities And uh, even if you feel like you're poor in the riches of this world, you need to stop and look at the blessings that you have. In fact, it was probably at the time when we had the least amount of resources that I really stopped and, and understood that the greatest blessings God gave me were people around me that will live for eternity, my family and those that I deeply loved. And those were some of the riches that I was even neglecting at the time. Uh, those dear people that God brought across my path. The thing we need to remember is that God is calling us to have um, the kind of virtues that are not on a resume, but the kind of virtues that are on a eulogy. God's desire for us is to live a life that when people when people attend your funeral, I, I guarantee you they are not going to talk about how many how many uh, really great companies you built or. They're not going to talk about the amount of money you had in your bank account. They're going to talk about the way that you impacted their life, the good name. Wealthy or not, if you cared about them, if you spent time speaking into, into their lives and, and being somebody that really, when you left from time with them, they might even say, that was the richest person I ever knew because relationships mattered to them. In Proverbs 22, verse 7 It says the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, that's really simple. At the end of verse 2, it says the Lord is the one who allows us to be rich or poor. And also in this text, we recognize a very simple understanding of what happens if we get too much um, need and we have to uh, go to a lender and we have to take on too much debt. It can be such a hard thing for us to walk through and a pain and and anxiety in our lives. And so we're being warned here to make sure that you keep your eye on building your character and not just on building material gain. And let me say this, we at times will maybe take on loans because even we might even want to look better than we do. We might want others to believe that we have more. And when we choose to build our character instead of what we have here on this earth, material gain, 
God says, that will build your character. That will give you strength for the journey. The second thing we need to remember is that we need to choose wisdom over appetite. In Proverbs 22, verse 3, a sensible person sees danger and takes cover. Now, the word sensible is a real important word in this text. It's important for us to remember because being sensible means not stepping into something you know is dangerous. And we know that children, when they're little, they're not very sensible. They will step into things. They'll mess up things. Uh, they, will, they will see all kinds of things and not see danger. And the sensible person sees danger, takes cover. But the inexperienced, they keep going and they are punished, it says. And when, what it means by inexperienced here is like a child, an appetite for freedom. A child wanting to run out into the street. And obviously, if they're going to run out into the street, you're going to stop them. And you're going to yell at them or you're going to even grab them by the arm because you need to, you need to stop them from something that might even take their own life. Because we, we might have an appetite for something. We might want to get to something. And Scripture tells us, reminds us, that when we are building a life that will last, that we need to choose wisdom over that appetite. Uh, Proverbs 22.5 says, There are thorns and snares on the way of the crooked. The one who guards himself stray or stays far from them. Now, the way of the crooked is, is really an interesting phrase in the in the text. And in fact, I'd like you to try this sometime. Put a blindfold on someone, maybe in a park or at a beach or in a meadow, and ask them to walk a long distance in a straight line. Then watch what happens, because people cannot walk, human beings cannot walk in a straight line. We typically will walk crooked, and if we're blindfolded and we don't have something to walk toward, we end up going in circles, and there's actually research. Jan Salman, a research scientist in Germany, she co-wrote a, a paper about this human tendency to walk in circles. And they tried this in the Sahara Desert. They tried it on a beach. As usual, the, the subjects were blindfolded, and they could not keep a straight line. Her research demonstrated humans, apparently, we slip into circles, and we cannot see an ex external focal point. We're like a mountaintop or a sun or a moon. We, without a corrective way and in our vision, we will just walk around in circles. And uh, we finish about right where we started. And the same is true with the choices we make about our lives, our relationships, our work, our play, our desires. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit, without submission to the Word of God, morally, we're going to walk around in circles. When we choose not to walk in wisdom, we stunt our growth, our relationships, and our character, and we remain immature. We see it in the Israelites in the Old Testament. Every time they disobeyed God, it was one more trip around the desert. Now, I want you to look at verse 14. In verse 14, it also says, The mouth of the forbidden woman is a deep pit. A man cursed by the Lord will fall into it. Now, a, a common trap in the ancient world was a pit. They would, they would dig a pit, dig a hole, and then they would cover it. And that was a trap. It was a hole used to catch prey. And earlier in the book of Proverbs, the forbidden woman was, was used as a personification of temptation. 
And you'll see that in Proverbs 2 and Proverbs 7. Sin seems attractive and welcoming. And so they're using, he's using as an example here, the forbidden woman. And it's like falling into a deep pit. So there is this desire that we have, this appetite we have for things that are forbidden. And it might be a sexual appetite. It might be a financial appetite. It might be a relational appetite. It might be that you use people and your, your appetite for being in control. Whatever that might be. What he's saying to us very clearly is you're going you're gonna to fall into a pit. God intends for us to stand up to temptation and to not allow our temptation to become in our appetite something that we continue to go back to. We need to grow in wisdom. We need to understand the way that God wants us to live our life and build our life in such a way that wisdom is over appetite, chosen over appetite. A third thing we need to choose is humility over pride. In Proverbs 22, verse 4, it says, Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth and honor and life. And to fear God is respectfully recognizing how great He is. And, and then to act accordingly. It's to know that He made you, to know that He is the God of the heavens, and then act in such a way that that matters. That you know that you are His, His created being that he thought you up. You know, kids are, are taught in many places in, in our world today, in the modern world. They're taught in many places, God, there's no God. No one thought you up. There's no purpose for your life. It's one of the cruelest things we can do to a young person is to say to them, there was no designer, there was no God who thought you up. And the scriptures are very clear that every day ordained for you and I, for our children, for every single person was ordained by God before any of them ever came to be. When we see God in all of his glory, we need to respond in such a way that you and I have humility and a sense of knowing that without our God, not only would we be without any hope for all of eternity, but this life would be, would be pretty meaningless and pretty sad. Isaiah, when he caught a glimpse of the Lord in heavenly glory, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Peter, when he saw Jesus perform a miracle of, abiding, uh, of an abundant catch of fish, he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. To fear the Lord is to believe in Him and submit to His control in your life. As you're building this life, as you're, as you're putting uh, your, yourself in a position of worship and giving God your life and your attitudes and your heart, it's significant to remember to choose humility over pride. Look at verse 11 of, of, of Proverbs 22. The one who loves a pure heart and gracious lips, the king is his friend. That's humility. That's choosing humility to be gracious to others. You know, when you see others and you encounter others in your daily life, to humble yourself, to be an encourager to them, to be somebody that when people walk away from you, they feel like you've poured into their life. 
You've said something meaningful, encouraging to them. Choose humility over pride. At this uh, uh, incredible um, just moment of, of thanking God for the gift of our, our parents, I think of uh, Father's Day and Mother's Day and back in May and the blessing it is to be led by those that, that we care about. I, mean, I want you to see this short video that demonstrates real effective good parenting and maybe not so effective good parenting. If only parenting were that easy, just to be an encourager along the way. Uh, you notice there's actually a movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven, so we know which one are the more godly pets, no doubt about that. But I want to talk about choosing eternal legacy over temporal gain. And, and this passage, a verse I'm about to read about parenting, is one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. We need to choose legacy. In other words, there will be a time that people walk away from our fresh grave. Our children, our grandchildren are going to have a time where they step away and they walk away and they're going to have memories. They will have thoughts. Have you built a legacy or have you built a life for yourself only here on this earth? And not only is it important to look at the text, start a youth on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Not only have you heard that text, but you also have tried to understand what it meant. And some people look at it and say, well, it's a promise that if you teach your kids to follow Christ and, and know him and serve him, that they will never have a time of wandering away from him. And I, I want you to know that that is not what it means. This is not, this is not one of those texts you can say, I'm just going to raise my kids in the Lord and they'll never have a problem, a time of rebellion and wandering. Because I know of several situations in very godly families where they raised children, they brought them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They brought them up to know Christ. And, and you know what? For whatever reason, 
they've spent time in rebellion. There's been time of, of deep hurt and pain. They brought on themselves by their, uh, their actions. Uh, some even wandering away from the faith and maybe not even wanting to see mom and dad for a time. There's a lot of times uh, in life that we can go through seasons of pain. But this not only is it quoted the most, but it's also one of those that we need to remember that it's not done when you stop seeing. In other words, if, if God calls you home and you have prayed for your son or daughter and they've wandered far from the Lord, you, have, um, you can still trust in Him. I remember having a funeral service uh, for a woman who had prayed for her son for 55 years. And she passed away in her greatest heartache whether her son didn't know Christ. He had never given his life to Christ, and she had shared it with him over and over, the gospel. And it was actually at her funeral that I was able to lead him to the Lord and, and be able to share the gospel with him. And he, his, his grief was more than missing his mom, was her not knowing that he had come to a faith in Christ. But uh, she was going to see him one day in eternity. In other words, you can't say, I'm going to bring up a child in, in the way they should go and, and everything is going to go smoothly. However, if you bring up your children to know Christ and to walk with him and to know his word, the, what the Bible is saying is that um, they are likely to either stay walking with Christ or to return to the truth that they know. Uh, in, in Ephesians 6, it says, Fathers, don't stir up your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And there are ways that we can, we can kind of stir our children to anger, anger, maybe by abuse or neglect, or we can be too lenient or too harsh. I grew up with a very distant father, even abusive at times. And needless to say, as a teenager, I was extremely angry. And, and I, I guessed at everything. And when a young man or a young woman guesses at everything, they get almost everything wrong. And so my life was headed in the wrong direction until I heard the gospel, committed my life to Christ, and began to follow him. But I want you to know that the absence of my dad and the abuse of my dad in my life led me down a path of anger and, and brokenness. And the literal word here implies rightly trained child the rightly trained child in Christ will not deviate from that path. And Solomon's counsel is not an ironclad promise, despite the direction in which godly parents point their child. This past Sunday, I ran into a man who had been in a church I pastored about 20 years ago. He's 79 now. And his greatest joy in reconnecting with me is my, my children and my grandchildren all know Christ as Savior and Lord. And this 79-year-old man said, God can take me home now. I'm ready to go home. It brings us great joy if our kids know Christ and they begin to, to follow him. Proverbs 22:15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a youth, to the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. I'm not going to try to go down kind of step by step of how to discipline a child. And almost no one disputes that Children are born without knowledge of what may hurt or injure them. They need us to direct them. They need us to intervene in their lives. They need us not only to direct them at times, but to correct them and to discipline them. And good parents use very careful discipline to prepare children for, for dangers and their basic needs in life.
And I know it can be controversial, um, but not in uh, the scriptures. Children are born with a sin nature and they need someone to speak truth to them. They need someone in their life to correct them so that they might come to a saving faith in Christ and begin to follow him on their own because all of us are born into that rebellion. All of us are born into really a place of, of wanting, wanting what we want in our own heart, selfish desires. And loving discipline is so important. It helps move a child from foolishness and death toward wisdom and life. And as you are building a life, you're helping to leave a legacy, not just build temporal gain. I want to go through these last couple of, uh, of, of points very quickly. Compassion over injustice. Another important life choice is choosing compassion over injustice. Look at verse 8. The one who sows injustice will reap disaster, and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. Those who take advantage of others, denying them justice, will eventually pay a steep price. No one can rebel against God without reaping a harvest of judgment. In Galatians 6, 7, it indicates a person is going to reap what they sow. And um, Valley Church is a place of compassion. Valley Church is a place where you pour out your compassion. You step into situations where there's injustice. I love this week of Love You, Des Moines that just came to an end. And in that week, what you did is you said to people around you, you matter. You matter to God and you matter to us. We want you to hear that, and we want to deliver the message that you have been created for a purpose and that we see you. We need to have compassion built into our life in Christ instead of um, allowing injustice to take place. And then sixth, choose generosity over clutching. And verse uh, 9, 22 verse 9 a generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. And the proverb here uses a Hebrew figure of speech. It literally refers to someone as good in the eye. Isn't that interesting? A generous person will be blessed for he gives his food, shares his food with the poor. Someone who is generous is good in the eye, it would be said. That person is a person who sincerely seeks the good of others. And they actively look for ways to help. And that also, as you come to the end of, of your week of, of Love You, Des Moines, is, is a way that you have stepped up to help. And many of you, hundreds of you, have stepped in to volunteer and to care for other people. And you've seen people face to face and you've ministered to them. You've had that good eye of the gospel that lives out through us in our community so that people see Christ. In verse 16, oppressing the poor to enrich oneself and giving to the rich both lead to poverty. We need to build a generous heart. As we are building a life, as we're an act of worship to a holy God, it would be an affront to God if we were to clutch everything that God has blessed us with. We need to have a heart of generosity. If he gives you an ability, it's to bring him glory. If he gives you the opportunity to step into a situation, it is to bring him glory. Anything that in your life that you could say is an incredible gift and, and a joy, God has given to you so that you might invest those gifts and those talents so that others, others might see him. I want you to remember you're building a life. Your daily decisions matter. If you're a follower of Christ, you are an offering to the king. 
Eric Erickson said, the final stage of life you pass through is either integrity or despair. Integrity is when those qualities that will stand up to the fire are revealed on that day. It's when you die with no regrets, when you know that you're right with God in Christ His Son. But despair, you can die also in despair. It's when you build a resume with things that won't last, when you build your life on temporal things. And I want to ask you a question. What foundation are you building your life on? I want you to see a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge is absolutely preoccupied with its foundation. It's what makes when turbulent winds come, gives it the ability to sway just a bit. Let me give you a couple of facts about the Golden Gate Bridge, and then I'm going to close in prayer. 2.5 billion vehicles have crossed the Golden Gate Bridge. Two suspension cables use a combined 80 miles of wire looped around the Earth's equator in a single strand. It would circle the Earth three times. It weighs 887,000 tons. It's 30 football fields long. On its 50th anniversary in 1988, 300,000 people squeezed onto the bridge, and it sagged seven feet in the middle. Three babies were born on the Golden Gate Bridge, all boys. Its south pier rests on the fault zone of the San Andreas Fault. I mean, how, how crazy is that? The roadways, the railings, the crossbeams are all related to a vast cable system leading to two great towers that are deeply embedded into the rock foundation underneath the sea. And in case of an earthquake, it can sway 22 feet at the center of the roadway and not give way. The bridge is totally preoccupied with its foundation. And that is what makes it strong enough to endure when the world shakes. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. That foundation is Christ. You build upon that foundation. You make your choices to give Him worship and to serve His purpose. Some of you may be exhausted. You've been trying to earn God's approval. And right now, I'm just going to ask you to, to lay that down. There's no way that we can earn God's approval. When we make choices to live a life that is an act of worship and build a life that brings honor to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling us will give us the strength to do that. And knowing His Word and understanding the Word of God and putting this into practice. And we've been doing that in Proverbs. It's been an amazing study. And I want to pray as we close so that you and I can recognize that we do not have the strength to get this done, but only Christ in us. Build a life that matters. Build a life where people will look back and say, that man, that woman had a deep love for Christ. Their life mattered. When they were done with their life, many people would look and see a great God. Not just a great person, a wonderful person, but a great God that they served. That's our act of worship. To give Him glory, to live our lives in that kind of a way that brings Him all the glory He deserves. Heavenly Father, we trust Your Word. We know that living according to Your Word is 
is your call on our life in obedience. But you give us your Holy Spirit. We're not alone. We don't have to try to work this out. If there's an area of struggle that we have, each of us, Lord, we give it to you. Help us to make the right decisions day by day, moment by moment, that build a life that will last. A life where others will see you. Oh, that is our greatest act of worship. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.